We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? I have another country to the list that I've done a buzz from, Nicholas. Lisbon, Portugal. Happy to be back. You know, obviously, we took a little break there, you know, scheduling, and we're trying to get some guests on for some future episodes. As you guys know, we were doing some uh, comparing the Nets to their division foes. We will get back to that, but we wanted to jump in and do a quick scheduling podcast. Obviously, it just dropped, but Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you. Man, Nick, this first things first, what was your reaction to, you know, the drop by the social media team on the Brooklyn Nets? You know, I first saw it on Instagram. I'm, I'm sure you might have seen it on Twitter, but the 2K hype sort of schedule drop video was pretty flames. That was fire. I mean, I give them extreme props. Like the social media team has been getting better and better each season. And I just felt like that was really creative. And it was like a way to showcase the new players but not actually showcase them. You know what I mean? Not, it's not obviously physically them. It's 2K, but it was really cool to kind of see that all combined. And then obviously like the voiceovers with uh, Ian Eagle, Ryan Rucco. I thought it had some real pop and it was just like, it was cool. I think uh, some people said it was like one of the best ones that they've seen from the teams. Oh, I would say it was certainly up there, if not the best. I mean, it's, you know, there's obviously, we're, we're sort of bereft of content over you know sort of late july august sort of period and you know the the scheduled day is always one um and i think that they've put in a lot of work the social media team in brooklyn and you know they're they're getting their props you know the the million followers on twitter it's it's going to be a big season for them the buzz and everyone else but nick we'll start from the top i guess in the fact that the the opener uh it's against minnesota october 23 and in saying that five of the first seven games are going to be at barclays uh what are your thoughts on the the net sort of opening stance well i'll start with minnesota like i was a little surprised that minnesota was the opening night game i could have for sure thought it was going to be like the knicks the celtics or maybe like the sixers or something like that i was a little surprised it was minnesota western conference team not really a ton of pop but hey, it is what it is, and it's a good opportunity for the Nets to get a W in their first home game of the season. And like you said, also it's a good opportunity with those uh, four of the first five games being at home for them to really start the season strong. 
Like they have Minnesota, they have New York, they have Memphis, they have the Pacers without Oladipo, and they have a Rockets team that are trying to bring in Russell Westbrook and James Harden trying to combine those two. So there's some real potential for the Nets to start like four four and one or five and oh. Yeah, I mean, you always want to get off to the, se- the season off to a good start and um, you know, you, you build that sort of momentum going forward. I know that the Nets, you're looking at um, some really nice analytics from a lot of people on, on, on NBA Twitter, I, I believe that the Nets have a really sort of, in terms of their schedule, the start of the season is where they can really sort of get a little bit of a head start. And like you said, Nick, you know, a lot of those games, you know, you can you put some Ws in the bank. Hopefully, you know, there's a lot, obviously, when you spoke about, you know, the Houston Rockets trying to work in Russell Westbrook and into their sort of new system. You know, this is a completely different Nets squad essentially you know we've got the the nucleus there in Karras, Jared Allen um, and, and obviously Spencer Dimley off the bench too but you're you know you're integrating you know a superstar in Kyrie Irving you know obviously we saw a, a weird TMZ article about um, Kyrie spending time with, with the guys in LA which is good to see um, but there obviously is some work that needs to be done but if we get off to a good start um, then you know maybe the Kyrie MVP hot take won't be so hot for myself. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's really ideal that they're at home because it just seems easier to do things at home, especially if, you know, you started with a hard road trip and you had like uh, Houston, the Clippers, like the Lakers, like the Bucks and the Sixers to start the season. Now you're trying to incorporate these new pieces on the fly and you're going against really good competition and no disrespect to those teams other than Houston and the Pacers without Oladipo. Like, they're not really great teams. They're not somebody where you're like, okay, we need to play our best basketball. You could probably get away with some B-plus games and come away with some Ws. And these teams also have new pieces they're trying to get in, and their expectations aren't that high. Obviously, there's always a concern early in the season that you could just drop a couple of games. You know, we've seen in the past really good teams have started the season slow and they bounce back later on. Hopefully, the Nets can start strong because of the competition they're facing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you want to get off to a good start, um, give yourself a nice little leg up on the competition, build some confidence and momentum and, and sort of see the direction going forward, obviously. But, you know, if we drop one or two of those games early on, it's obviously not the, the end of the world, but you want to bank those wins and you hope that against, you know, the Knicks, the Grizzlies, those sort of teams, um, those are just given wins, especially with the talent of this squad compared to, to those ones. But, uh, Nick, we'll move on to some more, uh, some other stuff. You know, I've posted a little bit of tidbits, some of this stuff from Xanthi Puccio and Ed Daly and some other sort of analysts on, on NBA Twitter. Um, but we have 11 back-to-backs. Um, how does that number sit with you? I think that's probably one of the best numbers in the NBA. I haven't, you know, looked at everybody's schedule, but I believe the average was like 12.4 and the most was like 13. So 11 back-to-backs is great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I listened to today walking around Lisbon, um, the full 48 with Howard Beck, and he was speaking to the guys, the sort of schedule makers um, for, for the NBA season and how they sort of factor in back-to-backs and how it's essentially probably the number one gripe when it comes to NBA organizations in terms of, you know, what they want to minimize and how they try to minimize those back-to-backs. And, I mean, I haven't gone in-depth on the, the sort of back-to-backs available, but there are some, you know, within you know a lot of teams and i think the nets are lucky and and the la teams are lucky as well and that you know if you get some back-to-backs and you happen to have one of those back-to-backs we're saying back-to-back a lot it feels like (laughs) we're we're hyping up one of drake's old songs on on one of his mixtapes but if you have those b2b's you know quite consistently and you have them in new york and in that state you have them against the knicks or you have them maybe against boston or philadelphia then it makes that that little bit easier. You know, obviously it takes into account the miles traveled and such, but I think it's a good number. And I think that, you know, we'll get to strength of schedule stuff. We'll get to miles traveled going forward, but 11 back-to-backs is a good number. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks like just a quick peek at some of them. There's a couple easy ones, a couple hard ones. You know, I think there's one against the Knicks and the Cavs. Hopefully you could sweep that back-to-back. And then later on, you got a back-to-back with Toronto and Philadelphia. So it's like a mix. But like you said, if they're kind of spaced out too, it's kind of easy to... And this is more of a veteran squad than we've seen in the past. For a young team, back-to-backs are really hard. When you're more of a veteran squad, a little bit older, you know, the Nets aren't super old, but they brought in, obviously, guys like Kyrie, DeAndre Jordan, Wilson Chandler, Garrett Temple. And then now it's like, okay, we can pre- be prepared a little bit more for what we're expecting in a back-to-back instead of, like, when we're younger. You know, we might not rest properly, get the right nutrition. We might go out to the club or whatever it might be. This team is going to hopefully be more prepared this year. Yeah, I think that they're in good stead. Uh, I think they're in incredibly good stead. Uh, this is by Christian Winfield. Um, he uh, has delved in deep in terms of the, the schedule and, and looked at the sort of road trips. And the, the hardest one he believes is a four-game one uh, in California where uh, that's towards the end of the season, around mid-March, where they take on the Lakers, the Warriors, the Clippers, and the Kings. Um, obviously, we don't know necessarily what the Kings will be, but they've had, had a decent enough offseason. You know, Corey's pretty high on them, probably higher than both of us. But, you know, Lakers, Warriors, and Clippers, you know, three of probably the best teams in the NBA. Um, and how do you feel about that? And I, I will preface this in saying that when they do return, they do take on Washington, Boston, Orlando, the Clippers, and then they go back to Orlando for a game. So it sort of evens out a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, last year, I think you look at it and it's like, oh, shit, that's a really tough part of the schedule. This year, we're a different team. Now it's like, how do we compete against some of these better teams? Like you said, the Lakers and Clippers, two of the best teams in the league. And at that time, Golden State will probably have Clay Thompson back. He might not be 100%, but they'll probably be looking at one of the best teams in the league at that point. So it's like, all right, how do we stack up against this really good competition, especially, you know, in March, the playoffs are approaching. So I like it. I think it's a good test where last year we're kind of like, how are we trying to get wins? This year it's more so how do we stack up against these really good teams? Exactly. And I think that there's a really good opportunity. Obviously, plenty of narratives. Kyrie taking on, you know, Stephen Curry, putting himself up against one of the best point guards that we've ever seen. And then up against uh, former teammate and LeBron James and, 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 the, and the Clippers as well, obviously. They're going to be an absolute juggernaut. Um, some more notes, Nick. And, and just guess- a quick note on that, Jack. I saw someone uh, mention, I think it was in New York Post, saying, did the schedule makers purposely put Golden State in March because they feel that Kevin Durant could be returning around that time? You're stealing my topics, Nick, mate. I'm getting to the deal stuff, <laughs> the KD stuff a little bit later on. Stick it to the schedule. We're saving that, we're saving that for later on, my friend. So okay. uh, I, did, I put out a little bit of a tweet earlier uh, about the, the, the general sort of takeaways um, from uh, more takeaways. And, and I guess that the toughest month being January, Nick. Uh, should we go through what's happening uh, in, in the month of January for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, lay them out for them. All right, so the toughest month being January, and it kicks off uh, against the Dallas Mavericks away, uh, back to, to Barclays against Toronto, uh, then another road trip to Orlando, back home against OKC, then Miami at home as well, uh, ATL, uh, Atlanta, come and visit Barclays, uh, Utah as well will be uh, v- versing them at home. Uh, by the mid, uh, by the middle of the, the month, it'll be the Sixers, uh, where we'll head to Wells Fargo, then the Bucks. Uh, at Barclays, and then the Sixers make their way to Barclays, and then it's kicking it off again uh, at Barclays where LeBron comes to town. Uh, Then it's Detroit uh, and the Knicks at MSG uh, before finishing off with Detroit at Barclays and the Bulls at Barclays on the 31st. Uh, It doesn't seem too tricky, but there's some, some definitely some really tough games in there. And I think that, you know, looking at maybe OKC right now, 
you know, if they, who knows what they could be like in January um, with the amount of pieces on the table that they could look to offload. You know, is Danilo Gallinari still there? Is Chris Paul still there? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you, you're versing the Sixers twice. You're versing the Bucks. Uh, you're versing Utah Jazz and, and the Lakers. It's a pretty tough month. Yeah, I believe uh, just right off the top of my head, I think it's like 15 games. So it's just a lot of games in general. I think the one positive, just listening to you list them off, there's not a ton of travel. You know, Detroit's not too far. Philadelphia is not too far. Orlando's probably the farthest, and that's still only like a two-and-a-half-hour flight. It is some really good competition, though, and it's just a lot of games. Last year, we saw the Nets had some nice success in January, in December, so hopefully that can happen again. It's going to be a good month for them to kind of determine where we're at. You know, January is really where you start hitting stride, your stride, too. You know, the team comes together. Chemistry is starting to come together. People are knowing their roles, so there's some really good competition. Yeah, build a little momentum heading into that trade deadline and all-star break. Um, you get that really tough sort of slog out of the way. Um, and I guess you touched on it a little bit earlier when we were chatting about the back-to-backs, Nick, but the Nets also have the sixth biggest rest advantage in the NBA, um, which in, in relation to miles traveled and, and the teams that they are versing, obviously there are teams in certain locations, uh, but the Nets uh, having that, I guess, is a positive too. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And I think rest is an underrated thing. You know, the Nets do a good job of taking care of their players, but there were certain points last year where the team was just beat. You know, you deal with injuries, guys have to play more minutes that aren't necessarily expected to play those many minutes. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're on a back-to-back and you just don't have the gas for the fourth quarter. Yeah, definitely. Um, And this isn't one via Ed Kupfer on on Twitter, and it, it broke down sort of the – we spoke about the January being the toughest month. Obviously, uh, we have pre-All-Star break as being our toughest sort of part of the schedule. The easiest part of the schedule, funnily enough, is before Christmas. We discussed that sort of early homestand. And then the post-All-Star break, um, you know, March, April, things get that little bit easier, but it's still a lot trickier than the sort of early part of the season uh, in October and November. Yeah, and I think that works out in terms of like, hey, you know, we got a tough stretch in January, but we're going to bang that out. Next time we got an all-star break, catch and rest. And then we're getting into the later part of the season where things get maybe a touch easier. We can kind of gauge where we're at, maybe rest guys. You know, maybe Kyrie wants a couple games off. We're trying to work possibly Kevin Durant back in. I think it the schedule really works out well. Where last year, I remember we were looking at the post-all-star break schedule, and it was tough. And the Nets still got into the playoffs. But if you told me – you know, before they got into the playoffs, how many games they'd win. I might have said less just because of the competition they were facing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that looking at that general line graph uh, that is on Twitter, um, ours is quite sort of consistent in, in a way that I think is relatively positive. And, and I think it's reflective in our strength of schedule. Like you look at a team like, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they start off the season, you know, with a hellish sort of schedule and then fin- finish it okay. Whereas, you know, you compare that to like a Miami Heat who, who start the season, you know, mediocre, then it gets a little bit harder. So I think the consistency throughout um, makes it, you know, a, a little bit easier for the Nets. And, you know, we look, we when we did this sort of uh, podcast last year, we were really speaking about that uh, end of the end of the season sort of stanza. Uh, and, and that's what, we, what really set us up uh, for the playoffs in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I guess we, we'll, we'll touch on that, Nick. We'll, we'll get to sort of the last sort of couple of games of the season. So um, I guess we'll just go through April. So the, the, through the month of April, the Nets take on the, the Pistons at Barclays uh, and the Pacers away from home, Dallas at home, uh, OKC away, Milwaukee away, Chicago away, Cleveland away uh, before finishing the season uh, against Milwaukee back at home. 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a lot of road games to finish off the season. Hopefully at that point of the year, the Nets aren't necessarily fighting for a playoff seat or they might have their, you know, their position already sealed up so they could get some rest. If not, there's definitely winnable games. You look at a team like Chicago, if they're not looking to make the playoffs at that point, they could be tanking. Cleveland will definitely be tanking at that point. So I think there's some positives. And then Milwaukee, if you're facing them towards the end of the season, good chance they're resting guys as well. So I don't think it's super tough compared to last year. Obviously, a lot can change between now and then, depending on how these teams kind of perform during the year. But the only thing I'd say is there's a lot of road games to finish the year, but that could be a positive heading into the playoffs where you need to get a a road win. Yeah, definitely. Sort of galvanize. And uh, I I think, you know, on the road is where the Nets sort of really made a name for themselves last season. And I think that that's where teams generally can sort of build that chemistry on and off the court uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, I guess, Nick, before we get to those sort of, you know, key games with D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, the general strength of schedule, uh, the Nets have the fifth easiest schedule uh, in the NBA, 25th overall, according to uh, some, I think, Yaya Dubin on Twitter. Uh, how does that sit with you? Yeah, I always take uh, the strength of schedule with a grain of salt because it's based off of records of last season. You know, so you're going to see teams be better, see teams be worse. You know, it's nice that it looks easy right now, but it doesn't guarantee it'll be easy. If it does turn out to be, you know, the fifth easiest schedule, good for the Nets. They can rack up wins and hopefully get home court for the playoffs. Definitely. Um, and obviously, the strength of schedule changes um, because, like we were sort of chatting about earlier, there can be trades made throughout. You know, we spoke about the fact that the Nets end the season against a, a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then there's some games in between there. What version of the Oklahoma City Thunder are they going to be in November compared to January? Um, obviously, are you versing Chris Paul versus just Shea Gildress Alexander and Jenna Schroeder? Who knows? Um, so I think that the strength of schedule can change, but, you know, it's, it's nice to see that the Nets are sort of getting some kudos. And I guess in that regard, 20 nationally televised games, Nick. Six, uh, six each on ESPN, TNT, uh, and then eight on NBA TV. Um, it's a big jump. Yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm just making a guess off the top of my head. This is probably more nationally televised games than the Nets have had in the last three years. And definitely on the ESPN and TNT front. You know, NBA TV games, that's cool. Like, they've gotten a couple last year or last couple seasons. But the ESPN and TNT ones are the ones that really stick out because that's, like, everybody's watching. You know, the NBA TV games, they have, you know, fans pick sometimes on, like, Tuesday or whatever it may be, so the Nets might pop up on there. But getting six games on ESPN, getting six games on TNT, that's a big jump for the Nets team, but also the Nets as a brand. Yeah, I think the Nets as a brand... You know, we've sort of seen, you know, Zion sort of getting the Christmas game and, and the opening night game. You know, he's established the Pelicans as a brand around his sort of face. And obviously now, sort of, despite the fact that, yes, Kyrie Irving has come in and Kevin Durant, and those are two of the most marketable superstars of, of the NBA in the past, you know, decade, you could probably say. Um, by the way, those uh, SpongeBob Kyrie kicks are just... Beautiful. Flames times 100. Like, the, the Nets got to do... I can't remember who, who posted this on Nets Twitter, but the Nets have to do some sort of Nickelodeon night. True. I think they may have in the past, so that would just make a lot of sense. And I was just peeking at January. They have six nationally televised games in January alone. So there's three NBA TV, two ESPN, and one TNT. Yeah, I mean, it, it just works out perfectly. And I think that they are just the, the day before Thanksgiving, which I think that when I was listening to the full 48 today, 
the the schedule makers were saying that that's when they had LeBron going back to Cleveland, and that was a really big rating game, and almost became this this sort of faux backup sort of Christmas game for a, for a lot of teams because if you couldn't get the Christmas one, then this one is all is is a sort of night that rated really well, and I think that is when Kyrie. Uh, takes on the Boston Celtics, uh, which we will get to uh, very soon. But 20 games, Nick, it's uh, it, it's a big jump and the Nets are going to be getting their kudos and um, hopefully that, you know, we'll, we'll have some time to do some buzzes and talk about those games because, you know, I don't necessarily want to hear the takes from uh, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal on our Brooklyn Nets uh, too often. Yeah, unless they start watching them a little bit more. But uh, on to that point too is like the Nets will be a team that will be good this year and they could even be better than expected they could end up with more because obviously they do change the schedule around later in the season. If, you know, one of these bad teams has a nationally televised game, they might take that one down and put another one up. I think the Nets had a matchup with like Cleveland last year, ended up getting taken down, but then they got another one back with like versus OKC. Yeah. And for, for people who are looking for some of those crappy games, we'll call them. Uh, Gus has a really nice piece uh, that I think literally just dropped on OGGBasketball.com. Uh, and our boy Will Jackson, you know, a regular guest on The Buzz, has looked at some of the better games to look out for. But uh, we'll stick with the Nets, Nick, and uh, we'll touch on the guys uh, that we're sort of craving to see. D'Angelo Russell makes his return to Barclays on February 5 as the Warriors uh, head to Barclays. Uh, and a game that will be televised on TNT. Uh, the ticket's going to be pricey for that one. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, D'Angelo is going to get a really warm welcome back at Barclays Center. There's I don't think anybody dislikes him after, you know, the experience we've had in the last two seasons. So I expect that to be really a really nice warm welcome. And I expect D'Angelo to try to ball out like I would expect him to try to drop 40 that night. Similar oh, to yeah. what we saw him go. You, He took his game to another level when we faced the Lakers last year. He wanted that W. He's going to really want this W. Obviously, Katie probably is not playing on February 5th. So there's not as much like back-to-back storylines because it'd be kind of cool if Durant was playing, but enough for D'Angelo. Uh, hopefully the Nets can win, but we know he's going to have some extra, extra juice. Oh, absolutely. You'd expect nothing less from, from D'Angelo. He always liked to sort of uh, light it up a little bit against the Los Angeles Lakers, and um, I, I think that Steph will be backing him up pretty nicely uh, as well. I, I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, And who knows, by February 5th, you know, and just before the trade deadline, maybe he's on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, <laughs> Could be. It, it could certainly happen, and, and I think a lot of people would probably... Maybe the schedule makers made the opening night game um, for the Minnesota Timberwolves with the, the thinking that maybe D'Angelo Russell would be a Minnesota Timberwolf. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, speaking of uh, Kevin Durant, Nick, uh, now the Nets head to San Francisco to the new Chase Center uh, on March 12, which will be about nine months to the day after KD uh, underwent surgery for that ruptured Achilles. Um, I've got to ask the question, will KD be wearing a Brooklyn Nets uniform on March 12th? Oh, this is tough. I mean, my optimism of seeing Kevin Durant play this upcoming season has continued to increase based off of, you know, the Achilles, the right Achilles theory. And then also just based off of seeing Kevin Durant work out and how he's doing in his, his exercise and things like that. So I think it's a possibility. I wouldn't put it above 50%. I think it's under 50%, maybe like 30 or 40 there's a chance, but I wouldn't bet on it happening. That would probably be around the time, though, if he was going to come back for the this next season, you would see him around that time because you'd want to work him back and you wouldn't want to rush him back. So, you know, start with a minute restriction, don't play back-to-backs, and then next thing you know in April, he's starting to find his rhythm. 
Yeah, and you literally have over a month to work your, your way into it. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, over like 10 to 15 sort of games to sort of work your way back into sort of the, the groove. And uh, I know you chatted about with Corey on full access hoops. Um, I don't think we've chatted about it because we've had a little bit of a break, but um, the really sort of positive theory coming from the fan fo- fan post on Nets Daily about the fact that, you know, the fact that the was it his left Achilles that he injured or the or the right? He he uh, he injured the right. So yeah. Uh, and just to detail the 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 fan post a little bit. So players who have injured their right Achilles have had a lot more successful recoveries because obviously most of us playing basketball, if you're right-handed, you typically explode off of your left leg, especially when you're doing layups. So that's putting a lot of pressure on your left Achilles if you're trying to recover that. Now on your right leg, if you're a one-legged jumper, which I believe Kevin Durant is, there's not as much pressure because you're not really exploding off that right leg half as much as you are that left leg when it comes to jumping, sprinting, whatever it may be. So there's just a lot more optimism because there's just not going to be as much pressure on that right Achilles. And am I wrong in saying that Dominic Wilkins, the probably player who the standard is um, for when it comes to recovering from an Achilles, uh, injured the, the right Achilles? Yeah, I believe so. And uh, everybody who's had a successful recovery has been with the right Achilles. It's all the guys with the left Achilles, you know, like Ellen Brand, I believe Wesley Matthews, like those type of guys have not been able to get their explosion back. And it makes a lot of sense because like, you know, you think of the Achilles almost as like a rubber band and now like it gives you some explosion and now you're trying to recover. Now it's super tight and trying to get that same explosion is extremely hard. And then it's also just the mental hurdle of like this thing feels super tight, like it's going to snap again. So I think uh, just the right Achilles, it's less of a mental hurdle and then also just less pressure on the body. Oh, definitely. And I think that you know, you spoke about, you detailed the fact that Kevin Durant, well, we've obviously seen some some really great photos. He had that interview with uh, Chris Haynes as well, where there was plenty to take away. He doesn't blame Golden State Warriors, but, you know, he was really excited. We could have done an entire pot about that, um, that entire interview. But um, it, it, it's exciting to sort of see already that Kevin Durant isn't necessarily thinking about a timeline. Uh, you know, he seems to be taking the, the frame of thinking that Sean Marks is, um, you know, if he's back, he's back. You know, Nick gives it under 50%, you know, may, uh, whatever Nick gives, you give it under another 5% under that because uh, <laughs> slightly more pessimistic. But, you know, I, I think that there is a really strong possibility because we know the the desire and motivation that Kevin Rain has to just be a pure basketballer. He loves nothing more in this world at this point of life than to just hone his craft. He said that, we know that. Um, and I think he's going to be itching to get back sooner rather than later. He won't be skipping steps along the way, but March 12th, we'll certainly wait and see. Uh, but Nick, Kyrie makes his return to Boston on November 27, the night before Thanksgiving. Another one that will be televised on ESPN. Yeah, I think other than the possible Kevin Durant return, if that happens at any point during the season, which we I kind of believe will happen and I'm hoping will happen. Other than that, I think this is probably the biggest storyline game of the year. You know, obviously, Boston fans dislike Kyrie the Boston media portrayed him as an just an extremely bad leader yeah they just portrayed him in the worst way possible and obviously the fans are gonna gonna react to that and they're gonna have their their way with him and uh TD Garden it's gonna be all types of negative but Kyrie in my opinion seems like the type that will take that in and use that to kind of go off on them so we talked about D'Angelo trying to go off against the Nets I expect Kyrie to try to murder them. I but Boston's going to probably do everything they can to prevent that. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone tuck Kyrie in that game and he just goes ham. 
Oh, he is definitely going to be using that for some motivation. His teammates are going to be backing him up. Uh, you can imagine Spencer obviously hyping him in, in the rooms beforehand as well. Um, you know, I saw a serious XM, Ryan McDonough, saying it's not going to be a pleasant night for him. Really, you don't... <laughs> you know, Boston fans are so rational in, in how they think about their their sports, uh, sports athletes and everyone around it. Um, you know, some real top-notch analysis right there. But, you know, I, I think that out of all the players, and I, I think that that was one thing that was making the rounds, and I think that you might have talked about on the outlet with Corey, in terms of the guys heading back to their old teams, you know, when this sort of started to trickle out a little bit, Chris Stapps and you know, got Anthony Davis, you know, Kawhi Leonard. Oh, I think Kyrie Irving is going to get probably the most negative reaction out of all of them. And it makes sense, you know, given the whole narrative of, you know, how he started and sort of saying, you know, if you'll have me back, then, then I'm going to be here um, and everything that sort of went down throughout the season. Um, I can't, maybe, you know, Knicks fans might give Chris Stapps a, a bit of hate, but I think that there is an element of them that still want him. Whereas I think that in Boston, you know, there might be a, a very minute amount of fans that want Kyrie Irving to still be there, but I think that they're preferring Kemba Walker right now. Yeah, I think, like, they started not wanting uh, Kyrie almost two months before the season ended. So, But I agree. I think Kristaps and Kyrie will probably have the most hated returns. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I guess we'll... A little, little tidbit because uh, we saw uh, this guy play uh, up close in person and he's heading back for one more season. Vince Carter will make his final home appearance when the Hawks visit the Nets on January 10. Wow, that's like right around the same time we saw them last year. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's cool for Vince. He'll get another tribute video. Hopefully it's a little bit different than the one we saw last year. Um, but that's cool for Vince and it's good for him to, you know, wrap up his final season with the Atlanta Hawks, and I'm sure they appreciate his veteran presence down there. I would have personally liked to see him on a contender so he possibly could, you know, win a chip, but it is what it is. I think it might be also to build some ties with NBA TV. I think that Vince Carter is going to be having a pretty True. prestigious media career. He's, he's appeared on the starters quite frequently. Hopefully those guys are back sooner rather than later. Uh, but I think he's going to be doing some stuff outside of basketball uh, near the Turner Studios, TNT, uh, all that's happening down there in Atlanta. But, um, yeah, maybe I want to, uh, one of these games, you know, obviously – you know, I, I travel to America that frequently. Um, there's going to be some games going to be over there for Nick. And um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford to get there for the Barclays Center one against the Angela Russell, but we shall wait and see. But um, I, I'm, I'm going to invite Ned Stallion. And I guess that this, delving into it even further, the longest stint away from Barclays is in November. So they start the season uh, with a nine-day, five-game road trip, which starts uh, in Portland and then concludes on the 16th in Chicago. Um, last season, their largest road trip was 17 days. So um, do you think that Sean Marks and, and the people in the analytics department in the front office uh, made it known to the schedule makers that uh, that simply wasn't fair, that seven-day uh, aberration, so to speak? Yeah, maybe they made a note to it. I also think the NBA schedulers have done a better job of trying to make uh, the players, you know, situation a little bit better? Is it more rest? Is it less games? I know they've talked about, you know, they've obviously cut down back-to-backs. They've cut down uh, four games in five days. So I think it's a little bit, it could have been the Nets, but I also think like the schedule makers are trying to make the schedule as comfortable as possible for the players to get the best success and the least amount of rest for them. Because I know the last couple of years, a big talking point has been, you know, stars resting when they're going to the city for once a year. And now, 
these fans don't get to see LeBron James play or Anthony Davis or Kyrie Irving because, hey, they're resting that one night and that's the only night they're going to be in Phoenix or Utah the entire season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in that sort of sense, you know, as a more existential topic, probably better for the outlet or JBT or full access. Um, the only way you're going to solve that is if you reduce the number of games in the first place, and yep. then the players can actually play. You know, if it's 70 games, 58 games, we verse each other twice. You know, it, it's not going to happen, and, and obviously the owners aren't going to be willing to to pry their pockets and to pry that extra cash. Obviously, it's a, a very nuanced sort of debate. But, Nick, you talk, we talked a little bit about the 11 back-to-backs. Funnily enough, it is the lowest in the league. And, uh, again, I'm going to reference that podcast. The number of back-to-backs, average number of back-to-backs, has dropped for teams again this season. So seems to be a real emphasis for teams, not just to book on nets. Yeah, and I think it's smart by the schedule makers, not only for just the players, you know, not resting, but just getting the best out of, you know, these guys. Like, they're humans. <laughs> they can only do so much. We have the science and the technology that proves, like, hey, if they don't have to play X amount of games in X amount of days, they're going to perform better, and that's exactly what we want as fans. Definitely. And, and Nick, I'll, I will finish with two questions. Um, one that I have for you. Does the schedule being released now and then having a look at it make you more confident or less confident about the Nets' uh, projected win total? Um, you know, honestly, it doesn't really impact it that much because I think it's easy to, like, go through the schedule and be like, win, loss, win, loss. But, like, we've kind of, like, hinted at in this show, it's a different season for the Nets because it's like – how do they, you know, stand against some of this elite competition? Are they right there? Are they closer to be a contender than we thought? Or do they still have a ways to go? Do they really need Kevin Durant? Now I think you look at these games more as like a, a test for this team. Where last year it's like we're just trying to gather as many wins as we can. So I think I'm more excited for the big games against some of these good teams for last year. I don't want to say I was scared, but I was like, all right, anticipating a loss and I'm looking at the bad teams where the Nets can catch a W. Now it's like, okay, I'm excited to watch the Nets match up against some of the better competition in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. I think that the schedule means means little. Yeah, at the end of the day, um, obviously, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, yep. you look at, I think we've sort of analyzed it to the nth degree and, and I think there are a lot of positive factors for them in the Nets' favor, you know. Uh, obviously, we don't have to go to Denver and, and Utah and back-to-backs or all those sort of, you know, really sort of tough feats. Um, the being in the Eastern Conference certainly has its advantages as well. You know, being up and, and versing the Sixers a couple of times uh, as well certainly helps as well because they're, they're a team that's close by. The same with the Knicks, sort of points that we've made. But uh, we've got a, qu- a question on Twitter as well, Nick, that we will finish with. Unrelated to the schedule, uh, who should be on the Nets' second unit? This is tough because, like, we really don't know who the starters are going to be. And we can make our predictions on the starters, but at the end of the day, we don't know until, you know, they're going to be announced. Obviously, the one guy that we know is probably a lock to be off the bench, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, six-man, possible six-man of the year. You know, whoever doesn't start between Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, it's going to obviously be the center off the bench. And then if the Nets go with Tyreek Harris, Joe Harris, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen – You'll be looking at Dinwiddie, Rodion's, uh, DeAndre Jordan, probably Garrett Temple. And yep. then Wilson I don't Chandler. know. Yeah, Wilson Chandler probably. And I don't even know if they're going to get into a 10-man rotation. It could be a nine-man rotation. Things are going to switch up throughout the season. I think the only things that I'm really sure about is that, you know, DeAndre Jordan, Spencer, and if Rodion's doesn't start, they're going to be guys that see big minutes off the bench. The other guys, I think there's kind of a toss-up between – 
who's going to consistently get minutes. Obviously, uh, Garrett Temple was a sign they went on and got early on. So do you think he's going to get minutes? But there's still a guy like David Nwabu could pop in. And you mentioned Wilson Chandler. Does Steel Pinson make a jump in training camp? Does Musa make a jump in training camp? So I think the second unit is really hard to to predict. And obviously, it's going to kind of fluctuate throughout the season, depending on who's playing well, what injuries happening, and things like that. And then also just like who starts because – I mean, I'm not the only people I can really lock in as starters right now are probably Kyrie and Karis Avert. And Joe Harris, Team USA, baby. Yeah, yeah. Joe, I mean, there's a really good chance Joe Harris starts too. Or, I mean, there's a possibility Kenny goes back to, you know, we saw him have a successful role off the bench a couple years ago and he could still play starter minutes. So it's a lot of decisions for Kenny. And I don't think he knows the answer until we really see these guys compete. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, training camp September, October, when things really start to heat up, we'll probably have some more answers uh, for the truly cheap guy. But, you know, it, it's the Nets still have that depth, obviously, that we possessed last season. You know, it's a different-looking lineup, but you know, I think that there was some nice pieces going around the fact that the Nets have some real versatility in terms of uh, positional versatility, guys that can sort of are sort of very big, uh, can guard multiple positions, you know. Spencer Dimity's a big guy. Karis Levert's a big guy. Kyrie Irving's essentially the only sort of guy who's under like 6'4", um, which is, you know, pretty outstanding. And, you know, we spoke about the Philadelphia 76ers and their size with Pete and Toll when we did the preview. But the Nets have some size themselves and some versatility. And, you know, don't count out a guy like Henry Ellenson as well, a guy that we picked up you know, as a sort of backup big and Nick Claxton too. There is some depth there and some injuries throughout the season. But, you know, like you said, Nick, I think you covered it pretty well. The, the locks are there, uh, but there is some depth. It just depends on what meshes well. I'm also really intrigued to see what the closing lineups are going to be. You know, we saw some glimpses of it in last year's preseason where Trivion Graham was a, a, a real closer. But then, you know, by January when we were seeing him live in person, you know, he was barely getting any minutes. So uh, the NBA can change on an absolute whim. And, you know, it's only August, so I don't think we're going to set any predictions set in stone just yet. Yeah, and honestly, I haven't even really thought that much about the closing lineup. It's going to be a tough decision for Kenny. It's, oh, going to be, it's matchup dependent, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be because, like, you have guys that you want to play. Like, you know, you only got – you have three spots for four guys that you definitely want to get out there, and that's not even including Kevin Durant when he comes back. You have Kyrie, Kara, Spencer Dewey, and Joe Harris. And all those guys have things they do really well that you'd want to see them in closing lineups. And you're really not going to probably be able to play all four unless you went super small. And I don't think that would work. So you'd have to play three of those guys. So one of them is going to end up on the bench. I think that the guy likely to end up on the bench there, and it's going to sound sacrilege coming from me, is probably Joe. Um, but I think at the same time, the, the spacing that he provides is, is so invaluable um, that it's going to be really hard. And, you know, his defense, he's obviously those three guys are probably more athletic than him. I think Spencer has a high defensive ceiling, even though I think that Harris was probably a better defender than him consistently last season. Yeah. I think Spencer has a lot more potential with his athleticism uh, in general. Uh, and Carol Savert, obviously, probably one of our best defenders, if not our best defender on the roster uh, with Jared Allen. Uh, it's going to be fascinating, you know, each game, you know, even in the scrimmages, the things that are coming out. Um, obviously, to be a fly on the wall in LA right now, heading out with those guys and, and the chemistry that they're building, uh, I'm excited to see it. Um, it. It's going to be a fun year for Nets fans. Plenty of games on TV. Uh, the schedule looks pretty nice. Uh, exciting times ahead. Yeah, and just a quick note about Joe Harris. He hit a ton of clutch threes last year. Like, he hit a lot of fourth-quarter threes, so that's going to play into that. 
And like you said, super excited for the season. I'm already looking at tickets for opening night. Definitely be going to that. Just about kind of trying to find the right price if that's possible this year because tickets have already taken a major, major jump in prices. Just a heads up for anybody looking for them. But it should be a lot of fun. Jack, quick question for you. What do you think about the fact that we've seen Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert spend a lot of time together this offseason? Yeah, I I love it, Nick. You know, I think that there's going to be um, a, a real synergy between those two that I think is going to be incredibly positive. And, um, you know, if you want to make this one go for a little bit longer, I've, I've heard a lot of stuff about Kyrie and Karis and some general stuff listening to some off-season pods. But um, in relation to that, where does, and this is probably an unprompted question, maybe something that might require a little more research, but I'm sorry <laughs> that. Where does the Levert Irving backcourt rank among the league right now? See, uh, someone brought this up to me on Twitter a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Tough to say. Everything's just a blur. It all happened so fast. Um, it's hard to say that they probably won't. They, there's a real potential for them to be the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference. Should we literally – look, I'm, I'm here. I'm on holiday. Um, I'm happy to go through literally all the teams, and we can list who they are better than that. Yeah, let's, let's go for it. So we'll start with the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young, Kevin Herter. Better. So that's one team that they're better than. The Celtics, Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown. I think they're better because I think you'd say maybe Karras and Jalen Brown is like a tie, and then Kyrie is better than Kemba Walker, even it's, if it's by a little bit. Yeah, it's really, really similar. I, I think that that's almost sort of like a prototype to what you know you see. You know, I think Karras LeVert has much more offensive potential, whereas Jalen Brown maybe has that little bit more defensive potential, a little bit more sides about him. And Kyrie Irving, I think, is just a more talented player than Kemba Walker. Um, but Kemba Walker is certainly a great player in his own. I would almost give it like you know a wash it to tie. Probably give the the edge slightly to the Nets. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, you know, Terry, <laughs> Terry Rozier and Nicholas Batum. Boy, oh boy. Oh God, I don't. I think that might be the worst backcourt in the NBA. Yeah, I think it might be. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get to the Cleveland Cavaliers soon. We'll, we'll have a look at that one. Uh, Tomas Sadoransky and Zach Levine for the Chicago Bulls. Nets are better than that. Obviously, Sadoransky's probably on a starting level NBA point guard. He's more of a backup. And Zach Levine's good, and he'll probably even be better this year. But obviously, Sato is going to hold them back. Yep, so we've got the – right now, the, the Nets are doing pretty damn well. Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson slash Darius Garland. Yeah, obviously, still young guys. Sexton showed a lot at the end of last season. Still a lot of work still to be done. So Nets clearly better than them. I mean, if you had Matthew Delavadova in that list as a starting guard, <laughs> it would certainly change it, but uh, we will see. Uh, and we know he uh, aggravates Kyrie, so. Well, absolutely. Uh, and we will certainly uh, shout out to all the Aussies at FIBA, uh, even though uh, Ben Simmons isn't there and the Australian meter is hopping on him. Uh, it is certainly unwarranted. And hopefully they can uh, give your American lads a, a run for their money because uh, it's unlikely. But uh, Jonah Bolden's got a ball out, baby. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, DeLon Wright and Luka Doncic. Yeah, obviously, DeLon Wright's more of a backup point guard at this point. Luka showed a lot last year. He's still not better than Kyrie. You know, you could argue he's better than Karis LeVert, so Nets get the nod there. Uh, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, this one, I think the Nets get the nod as well because, you know, you look Jamal Murray, Kyrie's definitely better. Gary Harris and Karis LeVert. I mean, I'd give the nod to Karis, but you could easily call that a tie. Um, you know what? I'm gonna literally just going to stroll through the teams because I've listed the depth charts in front of me right now. And you're going to tell me if they're better than them or not. Stephen Curry, DeAndre Russell. Here is one for you. This one's close, 
I think D'Angelo Russell, like we know his best skills are when he has the ball in his hand. So he's not going to be the same player that we saw last year. If you want to make the argument he was better than Karis Avert last year, because obviously Karis missed the whole season. But I think this year, Karis in the secondary role with Kyrie being the number one, I think Karis is better than D'Angelo. And obviously Steph is better than Kyrie. If anything, you could call this one a tie. But I think defensively, the Nets are better because, hey, Steph and Kyrie are both not great defenders. But Karras is clearly a better defender than D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I think that I'd probably give it to the Golden State Warriors only because Stephen Curry is just so damn good. And I think that he, like, obviously, the combination, like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the synergy between Kyrie and Karras just works on paper. We haven't seen it yet, but it, yeah. obviously it's it, it, the signs are certainly fruitful and positive at this early stage. But Stephen Curry is just a monster. And, you know, he's... You know, my uh, early pick for the MVP right now. Uh, I'm going to put that out there. Um, and I think that he sort of is that much better than Kyrie Irving. Uh, and Kyrie Irving is outstanding and probably the third best point guard in the NBA. But Steph's in a league of his own. And D'Angelo Russell, what he did for us last season, we can't speak high enough of. And um, obviously me possessing the now fatal, fateful, cursed t-shirt jersey of of his uh i'm really excited to see him but then you also add in the fact that if we had this question in february it'd be clay thompson yeah if it's if it's clay thompson then obviously you know golden state's got the nod there karis isn't at clay's level yet uh there aren't many that are that might be one of the best backcourt uh, ever ever yeah, yeah pretty clearly pretty clearly um nick russell westbrook and james harden I mean, I guess like talent-wise, Houston's better, but I, I we still have to actually see the fit on the court. But, you know, I can't really be like, hey, two former MVPs are worse than Kyrie and Levert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that that's probably, if you're looking at talent alone, that's essentially probably like the best one going around. Um, yeah. So right now the Nets are second, third at worst in terms of uh, their backcourt duo. Uh, and I think really maybe one of the the only other couple that we'll get to, the Portland Trailblazers, is Lillard and CJ. Yeah, I think that's the only one. I was already thinking that's how, like back in my head right now. And I think you probably give them the nod because, that you know, you want to call a wash between Dame and Kyrie. You know, Dame might be slightly better. Some people might say Kyrie is slightly better. CJ at this point of his career is better than Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert could possibly jump him as a two-way player next year. I think, you know, CJ is still going to be a better offensive player. But two-way ability, because CJ has really dropped off the defensive end, there's a chance to jump him. But as of right now, I think Portland's better. Yeah, I think that the history is there. They're a finals-bound. They were a finals-bound team last year, albeit in a, a bit of a, a jumbled-up sort of Western Conference where, you know, they, they certainly benefited from their standing and, and sort of losing some games here and there. Um, but a team I also think that probably elevates them uh, themselves a little bit above the Nets, Nick, is... Uh, uh, the Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell duo in Utah. Yeah, that's that's really close though. I think um, because we've seen more of Donovan Mitchell than we've seen of Karis Avert, and then like Mike Conley is kind of tough to gauge because we haven't seen. Is Mike, he? I think in a sense because like we haven't seen him in a winning situation in a while now. Like yeah, I I, I think like his perennially underrated sort of vibe. You know, I, I think that he is going to be great. You know, in Utah, I'm really high on just that backcourt duo alone. Like, I almost think it's one of the best right now in terms of health-wise, in terms of fit. We speak about the fit of Kyrie 
and Karras as a sort of one-two punch. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell is going to be insane. Donovan Mitchell's athleticism and, you know, budding defensive acumen. Mike Conley is a really underrated defender as well. Um, and, you know, I think that they're going to work. I think that they complement each other maybe better than Kyrie and Karras do. I think from a perspective of two-way ability, for sure. I think you could make an argument that maybe the Nets could possibly better offensively, but with two-way ability, defensively, both those guys are good defenders. You know, Donovan Mitchell's a little sporadic because he's a young player, but he's going to take a jump this year because he's just not going to have the same type of pressure. So I would say uh, Utah's better as well. Yeah. So with that, Nick, it's essentially Utah, Portland, Houston, and Golden State that are the only sort of teams that we spoke about that could even challenge the Nets. So they're a top five backcourt. And I think following this podcast, just a bit of uh, to promo it a little bit, uh, I might have to do a little bit of a poll uh, to see what the fans think about the the Nets, the Nets backcourt duo. Yeah, I would do something like top three, top five, top 10. Because I mean, and there's a chance they could get, you know, they could jump maybe one or two of those or if one of, the, one of those uh, duos has an injury, knock on wood, you know, something like that happens, you never know. And like we said, you know, a lot of the duos we just mentioned, we haven't seen yet. You know, we haven't seen Curry and D'Angelo. We haven't seen uh, Conley and Mitchell. We haven't seen Westbrook and Harden. So there's still a lot of unknowns too. Yep, definitely. Um, any last thoughts, Nick, before we uh, wrap this one up? Uh, no, happy to be back on the buzz. Obviously, Jack and I will be dropping these on the regular now. We took a little bit of a summer vacation, but we'll be back on the grind. Absolutely. Looking forward to the grind. And for anyone who's been listening, you know, we've seen some stuff. I, I, Nick and I sort of keep abreast of things now on iTunes and stuff. And we appreciate every review, every comment on Twitter, every every listen. You're listening for five minutes, listen for 10 minutes. Um, you know, we just appreciate all this. And uh, we're, we're really in for this ride and it's going to be a fun season. And uh, it hasn't even started yet. Yeah, 100%. Like Jack said, just echo that, you know, appreciate every ounce of time and energy you put towards the buzz. Like you said, if you listen for five minutes, 10 minutes, one show, two show, whatever it is, we really appreciate it. And then moving forward, hopefully in these next couple months as the season approaches, we're doing a little bit of uh, giveaways in terms of Brooklyn Buzz t-shirts and stuff like that. So as always, much appreciated, guys and girls. And you can obviously find the show iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and NetsRepublic.com. Peace out, knuckleheads. Take that, Corey. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.